I think it's important not to be offended at the questions. I get a chance to change what they're saying and let them see my side of the story. Educating somebody is better than being offended by them. Welcome to the Imperfectly Empowered Podcast with leading DIY lifestyle blogger, Anna Fulmer, where women are inspired with authentic stories and practical strategies to reclaim their hearts and homes by empowering transformation, one imperfect day at a time. Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Imperfectly Empowered Podcast. I'm your host, Anna Fulmer. Today is another incredibly special podcast episode. In case you missed the last episode that aired, I introduced this series. Approximately a year ago at this time, I organized and hosted a local gala. It was an adoption gala. It was a fundraiser for our own adoption of a sweet little boy from the Pacific Island of Samoa. But more importantly, it was a black tie affair here in Lancaster County, Pennsylvania to give local families a platform to share their adoption stories. It was called Bring Them Home, an Adoption Gala to Celebrate Forever Families. Last episode, I introduced you to the Zimmerman family. Today, I am introducing you to the Bomberger family. This is a story you do not want to miss. Talk about leaving a legacy. This is a family that boasts three generations of adoption. Especially what is notable is the fact that this legacy was started by a couple who not only adopted when adoption was not something that was typically done, they adopted 10 children of all different nationalities and disabilities. I am privileged to introduce you to the Bomberger family. Here's their story. We are here today with three generations of the Bomberger family. So we have grandmother daughter, and granddaughter, and they also represent three adoptive mothers and father. And I have to point out that they are a staple in our community. You own the local hardware store here in Lidditz, which is a multi-generational that was established, what, like late 1800s? Am I right about that? 1887. 1887. And what generation are you now... We currently have the sixth in the business, and the if sixth. my granddaughter Grace comes in in the next year or two, we'll have the seventh. The seventh. So this is a seven-generation owned and run hardware store. Well, they have also seen my children grow up at the store, as you can imagine, after renovating several houses. And um, I express my gratitude for our community, the way that you guys are not only personally invested doing an interview like this, but also professionally You've been a staple in this community for so many years, and we're really grateful, speaking for my family, and my kids are grateful for the candy (laughs) that you've offered them. High generations of candy is represented there, but they love it. So this story of adoption in the Bomberger family started how many years ago? How many years ago, Andrea, was adoption first started? In your family, the first, the first child, the very yeah. first child that was adopted. How would have been Ryan, and how old is he? Turned fifty this year, so it's fifty years ago. So fifty years ago, this legacy was started, yeah. and you have three children biologically, yeah. and Dory being one of the children biologically, She's our firstborn, firstborn. So 
I was thinking about this the other day. I have three biologically. I have an eight-year-old, six-year-old, and a three-year-old. And I was thinking about your story because what you all need to understand is that they have three children biologically, and then they have how many adopted? Ten adopted. Ten. You heard that correctly. That's double digits. (laughs) That's ten (laughs) children. And I was thinking, what would it take for me right now, having three children (laughs) biologically, aside from Jesus or drugs, to like alter my mindset to think like, I'm going to do this ten more times. (laughs) I'm going to adopt ten more. So where did that start? Was that something you always knew that you wanted to do? Yes. Uh, When I was five years old, um, I'm trying to think. It would have been the summer after I just turned five. My parents broke up the marriage, and my mother had such a poor-paying job she could afford to keep me with her. And at the time, my grandparents didn't want her to come home with me. And so she put me out at Christ's home. That's in paradise uh, until she could get on her feet. And I was out at Christ's home. My parents, my mother came to visit me. My father came occasionally to visit out there. But there were a lot of children that I was with out there that did not have people coming to visit them. I would get so sad when my parents left, and then I would see these kids like that, and I would just feel so sad as a five-year-old because they didn't have parents there. And Christ home was also a Christian home, of course. That was that way. Mm -hmm. And actually, Sunday school there, I accepted Jesus as my Savior. Mm -hmm. And I remember that specifically when I asked him to come into my heart was on a swing. I was sitting on a swing outside after Sunday school. And almost simultaneously, I had this desire that someday I was going to take in children who didn't have families. So I didn't know the word adoption. I didn't really know what adoption was, but I just assumed that I would have children that didn't have, take children that were, didn't have anybody. Yes. So I, I tell my boyfriends when I started dating mm-hmm. that I wanted to adopt children. And I also knew I wanted to adopt 10 children. Oh. Wow. So early on. So I'm just curious how those conversations went with your boyfriends. You're like, by the way. It didn't go very well. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm wondering like what the ratio was of guys, the percentage that were like, yeah, okay, I'll consider that. No, that's not what happened. Is basically they either thought that I was crazy or they thought that they weren't going to be there for that. You know? Yeah. And I would lose them immediately. The other ones that thought I was a little crazy, I would lose little by little. <laughs> and uh, when I went with Henry, he just looked at me and he said, oh, well, okay. So I was 16 when I started cool. going with him. Mm-hmm. And we went together till we were 20. And then I got married. I heard him tell somebody else on the video, though, that he thought I was probably overestimating how many kids, and I would know better after I had so many kids. <laughs> I thought, you know, not really going to do that. But we had 13 instead of 10, so. So I wasn't too far off. I said Jesus or drugs, and it sounds like it was Jesus. <laughs> At least that's what you're telling us. That's the story you're going with. <laughs> and your husband, how long has it been since he passed away? He just died January this year. Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't realize it was yeah. so soon. Wow. Wow. Did you have three children biologically and then decide to start adopting? Yeah, because we had one child, and then a year 
later we had another child, and a year later we had the third child. So it was like I never got a chance to adopt in between. And frankly, when we started to adopt, the local agencies thought we were out of our minds. Why, if you have three kids, Mm -hmm. you can have kids. Why do you want Mm -hmm. to adopt kids? Now, let me pause you just for a second, because that mentality still exists. And it's an interesting thing that you say that, because that was something that I know not just myself, that was questions that I had gotten asked because I was blessed to mm-hmm. get pregnant yeah. very quickly, very easily, three times yeah. at healthy pregnancies. And that mindset was still, not that it's incorrect, but it's just a little incomplete. And the thought that while well, you have, you're easily able to get pregnant, why would you adopt? How did you address that concern even then 50 years ago? How did you face that yourself? And what was your response to that? Did you know that family travel has the incredible power to shape our children's worldview and create lasting memories? In a world where representation is often lacking, it's essential for our children to see themselves reflected in every aspect of life, including the stories we tell about travel. Introducing the Travel of Legacy podcast, where we're rewriting the script by celebrating the diverse voices of black and brown family travelers. Each episode of Travel of Legacy is a testament to the enriching power and the joy of exploration in black and brown communities. So journey with us and subscribe now. The children I was trying to adopt were children that were considered very hard to place children Mm. and they weren't going to get homes very easily. Mm. I was not trying to get an infant white child. Mm. Our hearts were open to any kind of child and I just wanted children who needed homes. Mm -hmm. And I wasn't trying to be a social person, correct person. Actually, we didn't call it that way back then. Mm. I wasn't trying to make a statement. I just wanted to help children that didn't have a home. And that's the way I would explain it to people. Mm -hmm. So that it still doesn't solve the problem of orphans, right? Like just because you can have children biologically doesn't mean that that somehow changes the life of an orphan. (laughs) So you mentioned that you were open to all races and to special needs. You basically wanted to provide a home And one of the things that I think is so incredible about your story, and you were blazing trails long before many were. So this was 50 years ago, and then over the course of of the next decade or so, you have a very multiracial, multiethnic family. We had a group called PACO, Parents of Adopted Children. And we would get together with the kids. That's a favorite thing for our kids Mm -hmm. to do is to go to PACO where they, there was nothing strange about them. All the families are multiracial. They had lots of kids. And multiracial adopted adopted families. families. And they had just a blast being together and Mm -hmm. not having to explain themselves to anybody. Yeah. What is your advice to moms, period, let alone an, an adoptive mom? To survive and thrive. Lots of love, good sense of humor. Mm. We're living in a different world than I lived in and raised my kids in. Yeah. The world is really hurting right now. Mm -hmm. And your child will hurt with the rest of the world. Mm -hmm. I don't envy you 
having to go through all of that. That's in my day, we were coming through Martin Luther King. We were looking for a new world, very hopeful. People used to ask, aren't you afraid for your kids in the future? Mm. And I would say, it's changing the future. It's going to be different. Yeah. And there was all of this yeah. this hope that it would be different. Yeah. And it is different. I know that not everybody feels that way, but when my children came to my family, biracial families were... Yeah, we're in the maybe in the big cities, but out here in Lewis and yeah. Mannheim and even yeah. in which is still about eighty nine percent white. By the way, in case anybody yes. didn't know that, Lancaster yes. County is about eighty nine percent white. So still a very and anybody white. who was married biracially, I mean, just yeah. out of place. Everybody would stare. Yeah. I mean, I have some stories about the children and I going somewhere yeah. and knowing what that felt yeah. like. How did you respond to people? Because what I'm hearing over and over again is this idea that, and I think this is timeless, is this sense of grace and laughter is what I keep hearing you pulling out. And I think that is an approach that spans 50 years. That's not an approach that's ever going to die. How did your children, so you're the oldest of 13 children, and then Nikki, you were the oldest too, when your parents adopted. How did you guys take the announcement that we're going to adopt children, and in your case, 10 siblings. Mm-hmm. We were always excited. Brandon, we picked up, was it Brandon or Brad that we picked up at the airport? Brandon, because he came from Alabama. Mm-hmm. So we all were loaded in the van going to the airport to pick up Brandon, and the kids are yelling out the van, we're going to pick up my brother. <laughs> we were all always excited that we were getting another sibling. How old were you the first one that was adopted? I was probably four or five. Brian's okay. four or five. I'm 54. He's 50. Okay. And he was adopted as a baby. So okay. we were little. So Do you have a recollection of that? That is pretty mm-hmm. young. That one. Yeah. It was just what we did. Yeah. I mean, we didn't think anything of it. Yeah. We didn't necessarily. It was just we're getting another sibling. It sounds like a reality TV just waiting to happen (laughs) is what it was, yeah. Well, and I think that mentality even spilled over into the generations because that's kind of how it was for us, too. Like, it's just, we're getting a baby. We're getting a baby. And it's because it's something that we grew up around, too. How did you nurture your children? I mean, because even when you've got 13 children, I mean, even your first couple adopted children would have been older as you're continuing to bring in more children. So how did you nurture all of your children in that process of adoption? So as you would bring another child and it was just kind of the culture of your home, how did you set that open tone for your home? I didn't necessarily decide to adopt. A lot of times they would see pictures of kids Mm. or we would get sent pictures from Tressler. These kids are available. And then they would go with the pictures to their father. And we'd say, Henry, here's another child that (laughs) needs a home and he would go he would just kind of well think about it and hope that everybody would forget about it but they would keep bugging at him you know yeah. so they had a lot to do with helping to get yeah. kids into the family so as long as they came in the middle it just yeah, I don't know it, yeah. it was just like everybody yeah the kids have a place in your family and they yeah. the middle and the bottom seem to be the easiest place to bring them in they just kind of become part of it. And they've got older brothers and sisters. They usually connect closely with one of the other kids. Yeah, I never I did, did that. I yeah. never did uh, adoptions where we had 
two or three kids from the same family because I thought that was difficult to do because mm-hmm. they've already got a family mm-hmm. unit. Mm-hmm. So they pick one or other brothers or sisters and they feel a little bit closer to yeah. them for a while. Yeah. I love the concept that I think children, the idea of loving like children is we make adoption so complicated as adults. In my head, it's so complicated and you kind of see your pros list and you see your cons list and we're children just see it so very black and white. Oh, this is a little kid that needs a home. Why wouldn't we bring them home? Like there's just such a simplicity and that's, it is, it's really inspiring to me. Sometimes I look at my children even now and I see the way they're already responding to their little brother who they haven't even met yet. And it's so humbling to just be like, even as a mom, that's how I need to love. I need to stop overthinking it and just yeah. love them. Yeah, right. yeah. Caleb's already, he's like ready to share everything. The other day he said, mommy, I can't wait to share all my toys with my brother. And it was that simple concept that in his mind, everything he owns is his brother's already. Like, come on, <laughs> bring him home. So I love that. So you had three biological and Dory, you were the oldest. Can you tell us any stories of what it was like to grow up as the oldest child? Of 13. It was a, my childhood made me who I am today. And we were tight as brothers and sisters. I mean, we had brother and sister issues, but we were tight. And mm. it was great. One of our favorite stories, my one sister and I tell the story of we were at the beach with our brothers and sisters. And somebody asked if we were camp counselors for the group. <laughs> You're like, um, yes. Like <laughs> I love the way I was raised and I love the way I look at people Mm. and I'm hopeful like I I love diverse families and I'm excited for you because every time you every time you open up people's eyes to loving people Mm. and just being a family and Mm. you change the world you Mm -hmm. will change people that you have no idea mm, because true. you are going to love a child. And mm. So prejudice will only die when we all open our hearts and say, we are all just people. We love, mm. we love you, period. Mm. And you will educate people just by loving your child. Yeah. You have tried it all. Worried you will never lose the extra weight or reclaim the energy you once enjoyed? Want to achieve fat loss without spending hours in a gym or eliminating entire food groups from your diet? Well, now you can. In the virtual Faster Way to Fat Loss with Anna, my six-week fitness and nutrition program, you will learn how to pair effective 30-minute workouts with all-natural evidence-based nutritional strategies to leverage what you eat and when you eat to reset your metabolism and burn fat fast, even that stubborn belly fat. I am a dual certified nurse practitioner passionate about teaching sustainable strategies to promote fat loss and prevent disease. I have cheered on thousands of clients who have done just that with the Faster Way program. In my six-week program, the average client currently sheds seven inches of body fat. 93% report more energy and 89% state that their mental health has improved. 100% of clients report they feel this program is sustainable. Curious to try the program, but not sure if the strategies will work for you? Try the Faster Way strategies for free. Head to www.hammersandhugs.com and sign up for my free seven-day fat loss accelerator course today and start your own transformation story. So you think it was as much 
breaking down barriers because you're forcing relationships. Yeah, they are your because you're right because you're basically like this is my child and. Yep. You either get to know them or you don't, yep, or, but it's almost like, right. And yeah. it's almost like a force. And I think that is such an interesting takeaway because I think one of the greatest challenges now to what you're talking about is this virtual world that we live in and we have like pseudo relationships. And I love, you know, with adoption, it's so unique because it forces real relationship. Absolutely. You know, here is our child in real life. Yep. This isn't just like a conversation we're having yep. on Instagram about race. This is relationship. And I think exactly what you're saying speaks to what I have heard very eloquent men and women across all races say that if we really want to see change, then we need to start having real conversation and real relationship. And instead of changing people's minds, we need to start speaking to people's hearts. And I think that's where adoption comes in and your story plays in there is it's heart relationship and conversations, maybe hard ones at times, but how's that change going to happen? I just want to, if you don't mind, she was saying about changing people. When we've got our first adopted child was Ryan and he was biracial. And I don't think the grandparents were real thrilled that we were doing this. Yeah. And we got Ryan home. He was just a baby. And the grandparents, mother and father came over to see the new baby. And his father was holding Ryan I, he was just looking at him. He just, mm-hmm. it was the funniest kind of thing. He's sitting there holding him and just staring at him for about half an hour. And after that, it was like, this is just a baby. Yeah. Yeah. It's just a beautiful yeah. baby. Yeah. And after that, there was mm-hmm. nothing more about this was their grandchild. Yeah. And they were proud of all of them. So, yeah. I mean, I don't know how to say it more clearly. And yeah. it happens that way mm-hmm. yeah. all the time. Yeah. yeah. You just, you build relationships. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. You break down barriers by building relationships. So then, Bob, you married into this craziness. (laughs) So you were eyes wide open. (laughs) So you knew what was coming. So at what point in your conversation, because then you adopted in your family, Mm -hmm. which I just told my kids today. So tomorrow is Mother's Day when we're filming this. Tomorrow is Mother's Day. And I will try not to lose it too much here. But what a legacy. You know, there's something special when you've done something right because your child wants to adopt and then another child wants to adopt. And, you know, talk about a legacy of change and world changers, what you just said, how many people have been changed because you're loving on children. And I think that if we could take one thing away from this, it is that is if there is any reason to adopt, it is because by loving Mm -hmm. on people, you change lives. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And so if my daughter would adopt, I said, the best thing you could give me for Mother's Day in 20 years is to adopt. And she's like, okay. (laughs) Anyway, all that to say, what a legacy. So anyways, you did something right because you've got multiple generations here of adoption. And so at what point did you decide to adopt? And how did you go about that process? How did you decide? You may have to to jump in here, but we we went through an agency. Was it Bethana? Bethana, yeah. Mm. And we went through the home studies and it Mm. seemed to be kind of a slow process Mm. and I remember specifically they, they came out to the house and they did a home study and, and they asked us what I thought were some kind of some dumb questions that just didn't make sense to me, just what we would do in certain circumstances. And um, I thought it was dead and it kind of went then for a little while. We actually moved out of the house that we got that done in and, and we moved to our new house. And if I remember correctly, we got a call. Kind of randomly. And said, mm. uh, just randomly out of the blue and said, there's a, three month old in Pittsburgh, would mm. we be interested in 
we needed to leave the next day or two days or something along those lines. Yeah, so we, we went to Pittsburgh and we uh, spent three days in Pittsburgh and then we came home with Andrew. Yeah, we got um, Andrew. Yeah, we got Andrew. <laughs> Everybody's laughing. <laughs> Andrew's not going to defend himself, Andrew, but everyone's laughing right now. Andrew is. 25 years awesome. later. Exactly. Andrew's still Andrew. <laughs> Andrew was our, our, was our last. And he, was, he, he was our first. He priced the word. Oh, Andrew, you're not here to defend yourself. But there you go. Yeah, we now, now, to believe in karma, Andrew and his family live in the house next to us. So, uh, <laughs> you always said Andrew so, would be yeah. the one that would never leave. Yeah. Yeah. And he lives right next to us. <laughs> <laughs> we love it. There we go. There we absolutely go. love it. Now, did you face, so Nikki, you grew up also in a multiracial family because Andrew's mm-hmm. black. So mm-hmm. we have a black child and a white family. And were there any, did you see any barriers? It's interesting because we're going through the generations mm-hmm. here, having watched your siblings mm-hmm. grow up and then seeing Andrew mm-hmm. in your family what did you notice? Did you see any type of racial issues in your generation raising a child? And how did you face that? I was shocked at first. I'll never forget, like when we first got him, when we would first go to the grocery store, I was shocked by what I felt was people looking at us. I don't know. It just was something. And there was a couple times in his growing up that we had instances where the problem is when you when a white family adopts a black child or an African-American child, people don't look at your family. So Andrew would approach me at some times and people wouldn't know I'm his mother because I don't look like him. Right, right. And so there was things like that that you don't think about mm. and would break my heart because mm-hmm. he's mm-hmm. my baby and mm-hmm. he is my baby. Mm-hmm. So there's things like that that you will notice mm-hmm. that'll break your heart. Mm-hmm. But well, and even if you bring, you know, you mentioned, I love how Andrea, you started out by, I said drugs or Jesus and you said Jesus, which was like <laughs> probably the better choice. And, but honestly though, it's interesting because, and again, a very white community, 89% white and a very, you know, conservative community and a lot of evangelical Christian churches here. And I think one of the things that is so challenging to me is when we look at the church and it's so very white. And yet in scripture, it pretty clearly says every tongue, tribe, and nation is going to bow at the feet of Jesus. And you just, I think what I love looking at the picture of your whole family is to me, that represents the church. That represents really, you know, the globe and what the Bible says is going to, heaven is going to look like. Mm -hmm. And it's like, how can we take that concept and live it here Mm -hmm. on earth? And I think adoption is one of the most beautiful ways to do that. Mm -hmm. How do you encourage somebody to speak to the adoptive mom with the multiple race children? And then how do you encourage the adoptive mom with the children? Right. I think it's important not to be offended at the questions. Yes. Yeah, that's yeah. right. At first, I couldn't believe some of the things yeah. people yeah. would say. Yeah. And then I thought, no, wait a minute. They're not trying to be offensive. Yes. It just sounds offensive yes. to me. Yeah. And I get a chance to change yeah. what they're saying yeah. by being, I just want to talk to yeah. them yeah. and answer their questions. And let them see my side of the story. And hopefully that helps them the next time they see something like that. Yeah. I never felt anybody was particularly mean yeah. about it. Yeah. I wouldn't let them be mean with my kids or anything. But right. 
educating somebody is better than yeah. being offended by them. Amen. And I think what I love about that point is the concept that, you know, sometimes you feel like you're walking on eggshells, especially nowadays with the whole race conversation. And as a white, very privileged woman, I understand that concept of sometimes you just feel like you don't even want to say anything because you feel like anything that comes out of your mouth mm-hmm. will be misconstrued as, as racist. But I guess the concern is that then there's no conversation. Mm-hmm. There's no conversation. And so I think something that I'm already taking away so early on in this point is that some conversation is better than no conversation because then no conversation isolates people and to be willing as the person who's not really understanding of adoption as I was for many years I think now on this side of things that sense of no I want people to ask because that's how conversation starts to happen and I also want to show my son and my other children very early on that the way to actually help people is to have these open conversations. So don't be offended, show grace. And then you guys had three children biologically right. and adopted your fourth. Yeah. Now, in terms of how do you know the likelihood of potential adoption? Does anybody know that? Like if somebody's watching this and thinking, I'm interested in the foster, maybe foster to adopt, is there like you get one child, is there a higher likelihood that that child could potentially be available for adoption versus another child? Do you have any sense of that when they come into your home? So the way it works with in Pennsylvania right now in our foster system, a parent, a biological parent has a minimum of 15 months before Mm. they could even start the process of terminating parental rights. Mm. So from the moment that the child enters the foster system, the clock starts and you can expect a minimum. The foster care system, system. not necessarily your home. Right. Right, the system. So usually they say it can be up to two years. But so then you can gauge it a little bit depending on... Right. Now with James, he was coming into the system starting at zero. So we knew that we were looking at a minimum Mm -hmm. of 15 months and probably Mm -hmm. longer before... You had any idea of... Right. Yeah. Before even rights yeah. were terminated, and then, then mm-hmm. the adoption process mm-hmm. would start. So The whole concept of fear with adoption are so closely related. I mm-hmm. think that is the number one reason that the barrier to adoption, maybe aside from money, is mm-hmm. the concept of just fear mm-hmm. and uncertainty. And I love... There's just multiple testimonies here of, you know, you walk forward by faith and mm-hmm. with patience and with grace and with laughter... If there is one thing, if you could briefly say one thing that you wish the general public understood about adoption, what would it be? I would say that, again, I think that in reaching out and being willing to adopt, it breaks barriers, period. And like you, Anna, you and your husband are breaking a barrier in your own families. Other people will adopt because you adopted. Mm. And that's like, it's a, it's a neat spiral. Mm. That's because you help them break the fear barrier. And just, mm. just by living again, not necessarily just by living, it'll, because you're going to have good times. You're going to have bad times. Like every family that's life. But when other people see you live it out, then they're not as afraid. They're like, yeah. okay. Yeah. 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 Personally, I would say, and this is my personal belief, adoption is God's heart because he adopts us into his family and he does that through Jesus. And I don't think he doesn't call everybody to do that, but it's a blessing. I wouldn't change anything. We've had lots and lots of problems. We're not a perfect family by any means. I could tell you stories about our family that would just make your hair turn, but they were growing up. They had mm-hmm. some of them came as older children and with lots of problems with 
what happened to them before, mm -hmm. and they had to work through that. And I would change a thing. I'd do it all mm -hmm. over again. Just like Jesus did for us. <laughs> Lots That's of imperfection, saved by grace. Same yeah. thing. Yeah. Yes. Amen. I think the big thing, I mean, it's a journey. It's yeah. a journey that we're still on. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. And it started three and a half years ago. We adopted him a year ago. But it's still this process that we're working yeah. through. It doesn't magically... Everything doesn't just magically all come together right. on that right. gotcha day or, right. you know, whatever. When you bring the child home, it's right. just been this journey that will continue. And, you know, we'll have our up times mm -hmm. and we'll have our more difficult times and mm -hmm. it's a process. But the idea that the process, just because it's a hard one, doesn't mean it's a bad one. Right? Mm -hmm. And, you know, like I think we've seen the other interview, this idea in our culture that, well, once it gets hard, it must not be right. Oh, and we just want to skip the struggle. But again, hearing testimony after testimony that perhaps the greatest things in life are actually the ones that you really have to work for, including relationships. Mm -hmm. And maybe some of those are the hardest, <laughs> the hardest thing to work for. Well, I am so grateful that each of you were willing to share your story. And Bob, you got roped into this, the one, this lone man. <laughs> But truly, I am so grateful for your story. And again, I pray the same legacy over my family. And as you said, Andrea, that the bottom line is when it's all said and done, I agree with you. I think adoption is God's heart. And I thank you for your obedience. And you've been an inspiration to me. And I pray that 50 years later, I'll be sitting where she's sitting. <laughs> I'm going to stop right there before I lose it. <laughs> With 13 kids. <laughs> well, yeah, let me, let's rewind. <laughs> Thanks for listening to this episode of the Imperfectly Empowered Podcast. I would love to hear your thoughts from today. Head to your preferred podcasting platform and give the show an honest review and let me know what you think. Remember, you cannot be redefined, only redeveloped one imperfect day at a time. Your story matters and you are loved.